0: appreciate so much the opportunity to be with you again in a, a meeting here. It's been several years since I was here, I think well, 2011. As uh, many of you know, this is where I grew up. This is the very pulpit where I preached my first sermon, and some of you were there to endure through that, and I appreciate the fact that you still came to this meeting, <laughs> even though you endured through that. We'll see more at the next hour about uh, things we have planned, but I encourage you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 27. Uh, if you will, and that's where we'll begin, and we'll say more at the next hour about what we have planned and the kinds of lessons we're going to be presenting. Uh, Let's turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, as you turn there, this is in the midst of Paul's uh, shipwreck as he's making his voyage toward Rome, and at the moment that he begins to speak, it looks like that everything is going to be destroyed, not only the ship, but lives, cargo, and everything. Everything. From the human standpoint, that's what they think. And so here's what Paul says. In the the moment where there seems to be a a lull perhaps in some of the the storms, he said, Now I urge you to take heart that there will be no loss of life among you but only of ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you and all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it should be just as he told me. You know, that's what Paul said. Paul said, I believe God that it will be just as he told me. Now, it doesn't look like from a human standpoint that we're going to survive. But God told me, an angel of God told me tonight that we would survive the storm and only the ship would be destroyed. And I believe God that it should be just as he told me. Paul is here talking about his trust in God, his confidence in God, his dependence upon God, and his reliance upon God. Paul said, I believe God. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God? And you say, well, sure, I believe in God. I didn't ask you that. That That's a different question. I didn't ask you if you believed in God. I ask you, do you believe God? It's not the same question. Paul didn't say, I believe in God. Paul said, I believe God that it should be just as he told me. Now, while you contemplate that question, let's go to Acts or Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 6. Hebrews 11 and in verse 6 makes a distinction here. That is, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those who diligently seek him. To believe that he is, is to believe in God. I believe that God exists. I believe he is real. But to believe that he is the reward of those who diligently seek him is to believe God. And I'm here to tell you those are not necessarily the same thing. That it's altogether possible one could believe in God, but he doesn't actually believe God. He doesn't believe what God said. I'll give you some examples of that as we go on. Let's go again. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke writes saying, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. We must accept what Jesus did. We must believe in him. In other words, we read about his turning water to wine. We must accept that. I believe that he did that. We must accept that he raised the dead. I believe that. We must accept that. That's believing in Christ. We must believe uh, anything that we read about the actions that he did, the miracles that he performed, his resurrection from the dead, but we must also accept what he taught, which means we believe him. We believe exactly what he said so that when he began to speak, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, we believe exactly what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. More about that in a moment. Let's go to John 20 verses 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, this is a book about miracles, by the way. We had to give it a subject title. I think it'd have to be Miracles of Christ. And he said, that, in other words, I'm writing this book about miracles. And there's other things that could be written that are not even recorded here. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life in his name. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is to believe in Christ. But the believing has to involve believing Christ, exactly what he said. And we'll see more evidence of that as we go further. But now this passage makes a definition or gives a definition that perhaps uh, captures the thought of what we're trying to talk about. 1 John 5 and verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God. There's a believing in God. Believing in the Son of God. Has this witness in in himself He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Now, why is it that if you don't believe God, you've made him a liar? Notice his definition. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Now, here's what I just learned from that text. That to believe God, this passage just told me that. To believe God is to believe the testimony of God. So when I'm asking you the question, do you believe God? I'm asking, do you believe the testimony of God? I'm not asking, do you believe in God? If we ask the world, do you believe God? They say, oh, yes, we believe in God. I I believe that God is real and I believe God exists. But do you believe what he said in his word is a different story. So here is the challenge before us that we're talking about this morning. And that is the challenge is, are we merely going to believe in God or are we both going to believe in God and at the same time we believe God? That's the challenge before us. Now you know the question when I ask, do you believe God? And you say, well, yes, I believe in God. Okay, but let's go a step further. Do you believe what he said? And hopefully the answer to that is yes. Now I want to look at this concept of believing God. That's what we want to talk about for the rest of our time this morning, at this period. And I want to divide this into two sections. And then I'll take that section and divide it even further. But let's start first of all, about those who face the challenge. Some biblical examples, both Old and New Testament, of people who face this challenge. Were they merely going to believe in God, or did they also believe God? I want to subdivide that and talk about two categories. Let's start, first of all, of those who believe in God, and they also believe God. They did quite well with the challenge. And then we'll come back and talk about some who did not do quite well. So if you don't already have your Bible open, let's get our Bibles. We're going to do a a study of several texts here. Let's start with the case of Noah. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. These were people. We'll look for evidence. Did they believe in God? They did. Did they believe God? And we'll see evidence that they did accept exactly what God said. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and in verse 7. Excuse me. By faith, Noah. Well, that's stop at that point and we know that he's a man who believes in God because by faith Noah did something what did he do he prepared an ark to the saving of by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which is according to faith did he have faith in God he certainly did but did he believe God? Well, God said, there's coming a flood and consequently you need to build an ark. And the text says that's exactly what he did. Now let's go back to Genesis. On the screen before you is Genesis 6 and in verse 22. It's an interesting phrase there at the end of Genesis 6, 22, After giving all the instructions to Noah about building of the ark. The text said, thus Noah did. According to all that God had commanded him. Here's the phrase I want you to notice. Three words. So he did. That's an interesting phrase to me. I thought that would be a nice epitaph to be written on a tombstone concerning all the commandments of God, so he did, or so she did. Could that be said of you? Of all that God said for me to do, so he did. Of all that God said for her to do, so she did. Noah did exactly what God told him to do. He met the challenge, he did quite well. Let's notice another challenge. Another person who faced the challenge, and this is a classic here. And though he's an Old Testament character, I want to notice the New Testament commentary on this in Romans 4. Abraham did quite well with this challenge. And that is, he not only believed in God, that there was a God, that God exists, but he accepted exactly what God said without question and without doubt on numerous occasions. But let's read about this occasion in Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, that the promise might be made sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In what sense is he the father of us all? Well, look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him who believed even God. Notice well, what the text says. Abraham believed even God. It didn't say he believed in God. We know he did, but he believed even God. In what sense did he believe even God? Well, who gives to life? Gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they did. Now begin verse 19. Are you reading with me? Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Even though all human reasoning was contrary to accepting what God said, he accepted what God said. What do you mean, Paul? So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19. Not being weak in faith, He did not consider his body, his own body, already dead since he's about 100 years old, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, God said, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have descendants. And he looks around, he looks how old he is, and he looks how old Sarah is, and from human reasoning, that's not going to happen. But the text says he believed even God. He accepted what God said. Let's go further at verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. God said, you're going to have a child. He believed we're going to have a child. He didn't worry about the fact, look at our age, look at the the condition of our bodies. It's still going to happen because God said it. Here was a man who faced the challenge and he did quite well. Let's take another case. Let's take the case of Hannah. Hannah. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. <clears throat> when we're introduced to Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you remember she was barren and her countenance was sad because of that. We're introduced to her as she is praying before God, beginning at verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 1 <clears throat> and verse 12. that is as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth, she spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Well, let's stop there. And I know she believes in God. You say, how do you know? Well, she's praying to God. She believes there is a God. But does she believe God? Let's see. Let's go a little further. And Eli began to talk to her at verse 14 and ask her, how long would she be drunk? And she said, no, I'm not a woman, but I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I'm not drunk, uh, nor am I intoxicated. But I poured out my spirit before the Lord. I believe in God. And she said, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my countenance, my complaint and grief, I've spoken until now. God's response through Eli was this verse 17, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. She's been praying for a child. She's sad because she has no child. She's praying to God for a child and Eli, that is God through Eli says, you're going to have a child. She so you're going to accept it? Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and she ate and her face was no longer sad. You know what that means? She accepted exactly what Eli said. She believed. Even though some would not have accepted that. Let's take another case. Hezekiah. We'll just briefly talk about Hezekiah. 2 Kings. I'm trying to compound the number of cases where people, they believed in God and they believed God. Because we're going to look at the same thing on the other side of the coin. And uh, those who failed at this challenge. But 2 Kings chapter 8, if you will. And in uh, 18, I'm sorry. 2 Kings 18. In verses 5 and 6. six talks about Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. That tells me he believed in God. But more than believing in God, he trusted in God. So that after him, none was like him among all the kings of Judah that were before him. Therefore, he held fast to the Lord and did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded him. He believed in God, but he trusted in God, the text said. He believed exactly what God said. Now, this one's quite interesting to me because we often talk about, this is the case of Ezra. Let's turn to the book of Ezra, if you will, the eighth division. We often talk about putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. You talk a good talk, and then there comes time to stand where, you, where you've been talking and put your money where your mouth is, and Ezra had to do that one time. And I want you to notice what he said. He said, "Now, this is in the post-exile period, he said, I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers. He said, I was, I was ashamed, and I would have been embarrassed if I had gone to the king and said, you know what? We need a pack of soldiers to go with us and a band of soldiers to go with us and protect us as we make our journey. Ezra, why would you be ashamed to go ask for soldiers? Because we had spoken to the king saying, The hand of our God is upon those who do good uh, uh, for good uh, for those who seek him, but his power and his wrath is against those who forsake him. We've been telling the king, God blesses those who are her servants of his, and God is is, uh, executing his wrath against his enemies. And we are those who serve him. God will protect us. We'd been saying that. And so we had to put our money where our mouth is. We believe exactly what God has been telling us. And you see the challenge that he faced. I had to put my money where my mouth is. Well, let's take another case. The case of Joseph. Much like Abraham, this one would have been hard to accept. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. You remember the story of Mary and Joseph as they were espoused to each other. And suddenly she is found with child. And from human reasoning, and anyone would reason this way, (coughs) because prior to this there has never been such a thing as a virgin birth. that Joseph assumes that she has been unfaithful to him. And she's committed this grievous sin. And so he being a just man, verse 19, was minded to put her away secretly. And while he thought about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your wife Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now let's stop there for a moment. The explanation of God is, yes, she is with child. But this didn't happen like it normally happens in a husband-wife relationship or a man and woman relationship. This is a miraculous thing. That's never happened before. That's never happened before. Goes further. Look at verse verse 21. What I'm trying to describe for you, that's hard to accept. That would be hard to accept that, okay, well, this is an exception to the rule, and so this is this is the way it is. And she will bring forth a son, and you call his name Jesus. And he'll save his people from their sins. Now, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord. Uh, through the Lord, uh, by the prophet or through the prophet, a virgin will bear a child and have a son and call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You get what, what the angel said? The angel said, this is miraculous birth. Holy Spirit calls it. She has not been unfaithful to you. You're going to have a son. His name will be called Jesus. And by the way, that fulfills what the prophet had been talking about in Isaiah 7, 14. Joseph's reaction. Verse 24. You're reading He being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took to him his wife and did not know until she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Just like the angel had said. He accepted it. He believed God. When the challenge was difficult. And indeed the challenge was hard. Now let me list one more and then we'll move on. And I'm just going to quickly mention this one because this is where we started. That's the case of Paul in Acts 27, 25. In the midst of the shipwreck. When the waves are tossing and it looks like everybody's going to be killed, God said there will not be any loss of life if you stay on board ship. And Paul said, I believe God that it shall be just as he told me. What we've looked at are seven examples from Noah, Abraham, Hannah, Hezekiah, Ezra, Joseph, and Paul, and there are many others that we could talk about, who faced the challenge and they did quite well. They believed in God and they also believed God. But let's look at the other side of the coin. I want to talk about those who believed in God, but they did not believe God. Now let's talk about that category before we begin to list the examples of that. Those that we're about to list are not some kind of complete apostate group of people. I don't want to get you. I don't want to leave the impression that we're about to look at at some character that you're going to say, "Well, yeah, I would have expected that of that that character." He probably believed. There was a God, but he wouldn't accept anything God said. Nor are these some kind of weak pretenders. In fact, otherwise, these are going to be some great, admirable Bible characters who believed in God, but at least on one occasion or maybe more occasions, they had trouble accepting what God said. And here's the point I want you to see. That serves as a warning to us that we could sit here and say, you know what, I believe in God. And I do believe God, but there may be this one occasion where I have trouble swallowing what God said. And I have a big, big problem swallowing what God said on that occasion. Case in point, Moses. What a great Bible character. What a great Bible character. A large portion of Hebrews 11 face hall of fame is dedicated to Moses. And yet he had trouble believing God. Let me give you an example of that. Let's turn to Exodus 3. Turn to Exodus 3 now. <clears throat> Remember God had chosen him and said, you, you're the man for the job. I want you to go and, uh, and deliver my people from Pharaoh. And Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? You say I'm the man for the job. I don't think I am. I really don't accept that. He has trouble believing God. And you say, well, I'm not sure that's strong evidence. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God... Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, what is his name? What will I say to them? In other words, God, here's a question we hadn't thought about. They're going to raise a question that, that we hadn't anticipated. They're going to start raising questions about what the name of God is, and what am I going to tell them? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Moses said, but suppose they will not listen to me, or believe me, or suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What are we going to do then, God. So, something else we hadn't thought about. He's having trouble believing God. Look at verse 10, same chapter. He said, I'm not an eloquent man, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue." You say I'm the man for the job. I'm not qualified for the job, even though you think I am. He's disagreeing with God. Now, let's turn to Numbers 20. If that's not convincing to you, and that is to me, that he had trouble believing God, then surely Numbers 20 and verse 12 do you remember the occasion where God had told him to speak to the rock? And the text says he smote the rock instead in his frustration. Verse 12, Numbers 20. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the congregation into the land that I have given them. God said to Moses, you didn't believe me. I told you these are not complete apostates or some weak pretenders. What a great Bible character. And if Moses had trouble believing God, then I might have that same problem as well. Let's notice another example. Gideon was no different. Turn to the book of uh, Judges. As you're turning to Judges, let me remind you of what you already know, and that is the Judges were military deliverers. And as the people went into sin, God would allow a nation to oppress them and then God would send a military deliverer or give them a military deliverer, a judge, who would lead in that uh, uh, effort to deliver them from their oppressor. Well, here we have the case of Gideon. God has chosen Gideon to go fight against the Midianites. And notice at verse 12, the Lord said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Does he believe that? No, 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 no. He doesn't. Because he said, "Oh, my Lord... If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? You say you're with us, but then why does this all this happen? In other words, he's saying, I'm not sure you are with us. He's having trouble believing God. Look down at verse 14. Verse 14, God said to him, Go in the might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And his response was, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel since my clan indeed is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my father's house? I disagree with you, Lord. Look at verse 16. Surely I will be with you, God says, and you shall defeat the Midianites, says one man. And he said, if I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. He's arguing with God. Further evidence. Look at verse 27. God had given him a mission, and so he took ten men with him among the servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. He did it by night. He's having trouble believing God. Here's some people who faced the challenge they didn't do very well with that. Habakkuk. Let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. You remember Habakkuk cried out to God in chapter 1? And his cry to God was this, concerning the sin of Judah. How long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to let this sin of this nation just, just rave on like it is? And God's answer to that at verse, uh, Habakkuk 1 and in verse uh, 6, that I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to punish them. Instead of accepting and saying, okay, I'll let God figure out the, the conflict, if there is any, and I'll just accept what God said. Notice what he said, Habakkuk 1 and in verse 12, in verse 13, he said, you are pure eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on the wicked, and why do you... Uh, look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when they wicked devours one more righteous than he. How could you do that, God? Let a more wicked nation punish your people. He's just been asking, when are you going to punish your people? Well, I'm going to let the Chaldeans do that. Well, how could you do that? Why could you, how could you use that nation? Because they're more wicked than the one that needs to be punished. He's having trouble believing God. Now, here's another classic case. In the case of Luke 1, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, <clears throat> unlike Moses and unlike Joseph and unlike Hannah, when there was a promise of having a child, he had trouble believing God. Now, I want to demonstrate to you that <clears throat> we're not talking about complete apostates here. Look at Luke 1 and verse 6. When we're introduced to Elizabeth and Zacharias, they're introduced to us at verse 6 as they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and in ordinances of the Lord blameless. I don't know about you, but if that could be said about me at the day of my death, that he was one who was righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, that's a pretty good statement, I want to tell you. That's pretty good, isn't it? He's a righteous man. But that did not mean he didn't, he's going to accept exactly what God said. Now, let's go a little further in the text. And the text says that an angel appeared to him, verse 11, as he stood before the altar. And the angel said to him, verse 13, He said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you'll call his name John. And in interest of time, you know the rest of that story. Here's what he's going to do, and here's the mission he's going to have. Look at verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, Remember Moses, I mean, uh, Abraham's response? He was fully convinced that what God said he was able to perform. Remember Hannah's response? She was no longer sad. Remember Joseph's response? Joseph called his name Jesus. What did Zacharias do? He said, how shall I know this since I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years? How, How could this be? And the angel said, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and is sent to speak to you. And bring these glad tidings. And behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place. Are you reading with me now? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Yes, Zacharias, you were described as a righteous man. Verse 6. But when God told you you're going to have a child, you said, how could this be? Because you didn't believe me. You're going to be mute until the time this takes place. Now, if Zacharias, a great character like him has trouble believing God, maybe I could too. One more, and then we're going to make some application the rest of our time. Let's talk about Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, just basically argued with the Lord and said, Lord, you're just wrong about that. Twice he did, in the same context. What did he say? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 31, the Lord said that all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. All of you will be made to stumble. And Peter said, he said, uh, verse 32, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. The Lord had just said, all of you have been made to stumble. That includes you, Peter. Peter, you're going to stumble. And Peter said, you're wrong. That ain't going to happen to me. That ain't going to happen to me. The Lord then said something else. He said, not only will you stumble, I'm paraphrasing verse 34, but even this very night, you'll deny me three times. And Peter again said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. You're wrong. You say, I'll stumble, I won't. You say, I'll deny you, I won't. That'll never happen. He disagreed with the Lord. Now, if Peter and Zacharias and Gideon and Habakkuk and Moses, great Bible characters, had trouble believing God, I might have that problem as well. Let's spend the rest of our time talking about your challenge. What do I mean by your challenge? Well, first of all, I want to suggest that we believe in God. What do we I mean we believe in God? Well, here's something we accept. And so I'm going to quickly run through a list of things that we all accept. We believe that God exists and we believe that he's real. We believe that he is. Hebrews 11 in verse 6. We believe he's the creator of the universe. He's spoken and it was done. Psalm 33. We believe Jesus is the son of God. John 8 in verse 24. We believe salvation only comes through Christ. Acts 4 and verse 12. We believe Jesus was raised from the dead, Romans 1 and in verse 4. We believe God's book, the Bible, is God's final revelation, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. In fact, we believe so strongly in those points, we're ready to defend that against all challenges. If somebody in Bible class questioned the resurrection of Christ, you can bet we're going to have some lessons on the resurrection of Christ till we get that point down. We believe in Christ. We believe in God. If somebody in Tullahoma began to circulate in the paper or throughout the community questioning whether or not the Bible is inspired or Jesus is the Son of God, we would say, Brother Paul, write an article and put it in the bulletin and, and the church will pay for it so we can refute that. In fact, challenge him to a debate and let's have a debate. We're ready to defend our faith against all challenges. We believe in God. But here's the question. Do you believe God? Do you really believe God? Like what? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God controls the world and the nations? Do you really honestly believe that? Daniel 4 25, one of many passages in Daniel, says, God rules in the kingdoms of men. Do you believe God rules in the kingdoms of men? Do you believe God's in control of the nations? And he, he holds the world in the palm of his hand. He controls the nations. Revelation 4, in my mind, is the pinnacle and the point of the book of Revelation that God is still on his throne and he's in control. When Domitian seems to get the upper hand, if Domitian be the one, and I think he is. But if it's Nero, the same point to made. It's the idea that when the Roman emperor seems like he has the upper hand and things in utter chaos, God is still on his throne and he's in control. Do you believe that? I want to tell you, I think I've met a few brethren who don't believe that principle. Those who know me well know I'm, I'm interested in political things and even tried to get out and shake hands with several of the presidents, that kind of thing. But I don't advocate political things from the pulpit. But last year being an election year, as I traveled in several meetings across the, the country, I want to tell you, I saw brethren who on both sides of the aisles of the political aisle, who were all up in arms that the world was coming to an end if this candidate got in. If Hillary gets in, it's it's over for us. It's over for the world. If Trump gets in, it's over. And I wondered where went the principle that we believe God is still on his throne and in control. I wanna tell you that on January 21, the day after Trump came to office, God's still on his throne and he's in control. Whether you like him or not, God's still on his throne. Had Hillary got in, you know what would have been happened on January 21? God was still on his throne and in control. God rules in the kingdoms of men. Do we really believe that? Or do we think everything is vested in Washington and whatever happens in Washington, that is the end result of all things? I'm as interested in anybody of what goes on in the White House in Washington. And we want to talk about it, we'll talk about that. But I want to tell you, I'm more interested in that God's still on his throne and in control. When when a nation like China rises up, or Russia rises up, and what if they overtake our nation? And Washington is wiped out, and now we're under the control of another nation. What's going to happen the day after that happens? God's still on his throne, and God's still in control. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? You say, well, that's hard to believe. you think it's hard, easy for Abraham to accept what he believed? You think that was easy? You think it was easy for, for Joseph to accept? Oh, this is just a miraculous thing I, that happened. You know, I know two or three people where that happened. No, this has never happened before. Not easy to accept what God said. Here's another thing. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God hears and answers prayer? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Do you believe that? You say, "Well, sure, I believe in prayer." Let's know what I ask? I ask you. Do you believe that God hears and answers prayer? Or is it that we, we pray to God with one breath and in the same breath turn around and say that will never happen that we just prayed for? You ever do that? We pray and pray and pray that, the, the, uh, that something will take place. That We'll have opportunities to teach people and then we say, you know what? I'll never have opportunity. opportunity. Nobody, nobody listen to the gospel. What did you just pray about? Do you not believe in the power of prayer? Do you pray for opportunities and then think no opportunity is coming? Do you pray for something to be better and you you don't believe it'll ever happen? Do you pray for something to change and you think it can never change? Or do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you really believe God? Do you believe this, young folks? Um, Do you really believe that you ought to respect and obey your parents? And that's really Bible principles? When we're challenged at school by our atheist friends or agnostic friends or that professor, we're ready to defend our faith and we we go to Paul and say, Paul, help me with some material on evolution. I've got to combat this. And here's somebody that questions Jesus was raised from the dead. Help me with some material so I can refute this concept of Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And yet we tell our friends we're deliberately disobeying our parents, contrary to what God said. We believe in God, but we may not believe him. Do you believe God? Do you believe this principle, that how you raise your child is how the child will turn out? Train a child in the way that you go, and when he's old and not depart from it. Proverbs two six. I recognize what a proverb is. A proverb is a general statement to which there may be exceptions. We're talking in general terms. Do you believe this, that the way you train your child is how the child turns out? And if the child turns out well, that has everything to do with the training. If the child doesn't turn out well, that is spiritually we're talking about. They turn out to the world then that has something to do with the training we do. I want to tell you, I know brethren that don't believe that. They just believe Proverbs 22, 6 is wrong. Because when children and the next child and the next child and maybe three or four children in the family turn out to the world, has nothing to do with their training. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, yes, it does. Do you believe God? Do you really believe God? Here's something else. Do you believe church discipline works? I've said in business meetings in the absence of elders and heard brethren argue, I tell you what, it just doesn't do any good to withdraw from people. It just doesn't work. Can you cite, Brother Wader, a case where where discipline ever worked? Yes. Corinth. Brought him back, 2 Corinthians 2. Well, besides that, I don't need another. You ask where I could show it works. It did. It brought him back at Corinth. Do you believe God? I want to tell you, there's a whole passel of brethren that do not believe that church discipline works. It just drive them away. It's just going it's it's to drive them away. It just, it, it just doesn't work. Withdrawing doesn't bring them back. Like what we need to do is showing love instead of trying to be ugly and mean and, and withdrawing from them, etc. Do you believe church discipline works? you say, I believe in God. But do you believe God when God says it works? And this is God's means of bringing them back. Do you believe this? Do you believe God will not allow you to be tempted greater than what you can bear? There's no temptation taking you, but such is as, as uh, bearable, common to man, which has the idea of bearable. It's, it's, it can be born. Do you believe that? Somebody give me five minutes. Is that what that gives me? Or do you have this concept that many have, and that is that I've I've got more on me than I can handle. I can't take it. I've got to cave to the pressures because I cannot bear this. And yet God promised you there's no temptation taking you, but such as is bearable to man. And whatever you're dealing with, God says, you can handle it. I know you can. God said so. Or do you say, no, I can't handle this. I can't take it. I just can't deal with this. Do you believe God? Do you believe this? Do you believe you can obey any command? Look at Philippians 4.13. You know the passage. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not a positive mental attitude passage. By that, I've heard that quoted in something like the Peter Lowe Seminars, those kinds of things. And you can be a great salesman. You can sell a million dollars in real estate this year. You can sell a million dollars in cars. And, and you could be a million, a big great ball player if you just put your mind to it because you can do all things through Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I can obey any command. I can bear any trial. I can do anything God expects of me. And when you look at some command, do you ever look at a command of God and, and, and kind of like the disciples and said, we're lacking faith to do that, Luke 11. We need more faith to do that. I, I don't know if I can do that or not. Do you believe you can obey any command of God? Let's quickly list two or three more and we're going to quit. Do you believe the power is in the word? Power is in the gospel. gospel is the power of God and salvation. Or do you believe the power is in the dynamics of the speaker or the attractiveness of the building? Or do you believe the power is in the gospel? Boy, if we just just had a different coat of paint on the walls, I believe we could get get visitors in here. Or I believe if we just had a dynamic speaker for a meeting, I believe we'd have the crowd. Or do you believe the power is in the gospel? That's what God said. Do you believe this? Do you believe the association with evil corrupts? First Corinthians 15, 33 says, you associate with evil, it will have a corrupting influence. There are those who think, no, it doesn't corrupt me and it doesn't bother me. And one last thing, do you believe that Christ could return at any time? He'll come as a thief in the night. And that means he could come at any time. Or do you have the concept that the coming of Christ is, is it's a long way off. It won't happen in my lifetime, probably not my grandchildren's lifetime, but it's a long way off, but it'll never, I, it, I'll never see that. If I believe what the passage says, it could happen today as well as any day because I don't know when it could be. I believe it's a real possibility he could return in my lifetime. Maybe even this very day. And the question is, do you believe God? I appreciate your attention this morning. Thank you very much.